0: Hello and welcome to Just One Cornetto, a podcast discussing all things Greenock Morton. My name is Dean McKinnon and I am your host. Just One Cornetto is brought to you by themortonforum.com. You can reach us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at themortonforum. All our panellists appear in an entirely personal capacity and as such their views are personal to them. This podcast may contain a bit of adult language. Thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the show.
1: Just one Cornetto,
0: Hi everyone and welcome to the show. Just at the top of the piece, I'm going to apologise now for a slightly hoarse voice. I think myself like many others are still trying to piece ourselves back together after the trip down to London. So this episode is part two of four discussing the legacy being left behind by the Ray family, who of course owned the club from August 2001 until this summer, with Morton Club together set to take over. In this record, we will look at the period from 2007-2008 in the First Division, all the way through to being relegated back to League One in 2013-14. Joining me for this episode, we have Mr Craig Dunning. Craig, how are you?
2: Good, thanks Dean. Better than you anyway. Uh, thank Much you for better. <laughs> Yeah, no, looking forward to this. A lot to get through and I greatly enjoyed the first pod, even though I was shouting at my phone during it sometimes, wishing <laughs> I could come in. So yes, It was the Chris Templeman praise, wasn't it? We'll get to that, we'll get to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and since it's the summer and everyone's away on holiday and he's probably got a few where originals left in his bag, we thought we'd have him back. Mr Alan Coyle, how
1: are you? I'm absolutely champion, so I'm just looking out at the glorious summer weather here. Absolutely tonking it down, so it is, isn't it? But great, good looking forward to this. All right, so there's one thing that I left out in episode
0: one that I meant to add in. We are going to try and have a running total of the transfer fees that we've spent during the re tenure. So, thus far, so from episode one, we've got Ian Dyak £15,000, Alex Williams 50000 Peter Weatherson 30000 Chris Templeman, 80,000, and Bobby Lynn, 15,000, the running total of £190,000. In this episode, we've got Ian Russell at £40,000, Karen McInnesby at fifteen. pounds Sorry, English Premier League player Karen McInnesby at £15,000. <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help that. Um, Tony Wallace at £10,000 as a compensation fee, and. That gives us an episode 2 total of 65000 taking the running total to £255,000. It's also worth noting that we had £150,000 offer rejected by Celtic for Paul McGowan. Whew! Alright, so we'll get crack straight on. So, where we left the action, we had one promotion out of the second division and into the first under Jim McInally. McInally has a rocky start to life in the first division. And after two resignations had been refused by the chairman, Morton faced Clyde at Capelo. A Chris Miller goal early in the second half gave Morton the lead. However, Clyde scored two goals in injury time to steal all three points and turn the atmosphere at Capelo absolutely toxic. Chance of time to go and other less savoury chance aimed at the dugout. They'd been the norm at games for a few weeks, but it was a growing percentage of the fan base week on week. I would say this was the point where... McInally's position became absolutely untenable. We'll stick to a purely footballing sense for the moment. We'll go to you with this one first, Craig. In a
2: footballing sense, what went wrong for McInally that season? Oh well, (laughs) that's a yeah. There are a lot of answers to that question, but I think you can go back to the start of the season and the recruitment that summer. Like on one aspect, there was maybe just a bit too much loyalty to players who had done a very good job and were in the second division. And were undoubtedly good 3rd tier players, but so many of them just were not up to it to step up a division. They just weren't. To to give an example, yes, let's let's go into on Templeman. I hope uh, Stephen McIlenny is listening. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, no, I mean I'm I'm picking Templeman out because I just think he is genuinely a good example of that. Templeman was an excellent 3rd tier centre forward. He'd had a tremendous season as we won the league. He then steps up to. Steps up to the first division. He'd had two spells in the first division before, both with Breakin. His first spell there, he'd scored five goals in 32 games with Beacon. Then he'd scored zero goals in nine games while he was on loan at Breakin from us. And then, yeah, so we get 16 games with us and scores no goals. You could argue that should actually be one goal because fuck Ross Haswell. But, um, <laughs> yes, zero goals in 16 games. Uh and the squad was just littered with guys like that. Jamie Stevenson had a great season in the second division, did not do it in the first division. You look at the defence, guys like Harding and Greason have been solid. They were not solid anymore. Aye, it was it all started going wrong that summer and yeah, it never got better than it. No, no, I absolutely
0: did not. <laughs> what about yourself, Alan? What were the have you got anything to add to the football and reasons for, for McAnally's failure?
1: Um no I, I, I think uh, I think it's pretty much been covered there, has isn't it um especially when you look at the entire season and it, basically the the two standout footballing moments probably were at the beginning and in the, in the end of the season. Um we've got a rather scrappy 3-2 win at the start of the season where you've got Kieran McInnesby in there. Kieran as, as you're saying pre uh, English Premiership Kieran McInnesby. Um another one uh, of the he he was in naked table tennis crew wasn't he I think as well oh, up at Coria's I don't know if Coria's village is going to get going to get mentioned oh, it will. oh, but, oh it um will but um, <laughs> no nah, I mean you 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 look at the run that we went on um, and it was just a it, it was just a third tier team that we had wasn't it and Mike and get found out pretty much so then moving on well can I leave it there for the footballing
0: sense now. Mack and Ali had twice already tried to resign, once after the playoff defeat up at Peterhead, the second time after the 6-1 game away at Livingston. What logic was there? Offer, offer me a defence for Douglas Reid refusing two resignation offers from a manager, Craig.
2: There is no logical defence. The resignation after the Peterhead playoff when we lost, there was a coherent logical defence then. Okay, McAnally had said at the you know, at the outset of that season, if we don't get promoted this season, I'll resign. But you could make a valid argument for all that a lot of Morton fans would have then and still do disagree with it, that look, we finished second at league by a canter. The fact that we didn't get through the playoffs, and that is an indictment on how we failed to get through them. It's an indictment on McAnally. However, you could still look at that and say... No Gretan and league next season. We'll, we will go and win it if we retain McAnally. And we did. So you can make all of those arguments then. At the point where we were losing 6-1 to Livingston, God almighty, that was an appalling run of form. That, that day especially was just horrible. Uh, you know, it could have been more than 6-1. And the team were gutless that day as well. There were. It, it sounds like a bit of a Yardá cliche to throw out there. Like, or look interested. Players, players aren't trying, but there were individuals in that Morton team who had absolutely chucked it that day, and yeah, it was clear at that point what way the season was going. We were heading straight for a relegation battle, and I think Douglas Ray just had a blind spot with Jim McInally. I think to bring this back to a discussion that was had in the first podcast uh, towards the end, which was you—you'd know, been talking about how Douglas Ray was still seen as the saviour by fans for a long time. And when did that start to die? And I think uh, both yourself, Alan, and Stephen had said it was that final season in the second division. It really started to go sick with McAnally. But I actually think at the start of that first division season, it started to slip a bit. But I think for the majority of the support, Douglas Ray was still the messiah to a lot of people. It wasn't staying in the second division so long that was tarnishing him. It was... You know, a lot of people had an issue with alley but there was, a, there was a conception among the support that what Douglas Ray has been promising all along is get us back to the First Division and then we'll build the club from there. And people still fully believe that that summer, that, yeah, we're going back to the First Division, now we're going to build the club, now we're going to become a well-run, sustainable club. And it was only once we're up there and you see how much of a clusterfuck we continue to be that actually that was when... You know, the will finally properly fell away from people's eyes about the extent of the incompetence at the club, finding out that you'll be budgeted for gates of 4,000 that season, for example. But a, a significant part of that relationship deteriorating was because of Douglas Ray's love for McInally. I know that there's a whole narrative of the season to go through, but I think at this point, just a point you have to bring up that just shows how much Ray loved McInally. So... We all remember the brilliant way we stayed up at the end of that season. There, there was a real feeling of just happiness and momentum among the support. And I remember the, the team, Ray and David Irons, going round the supporters clubs at the end of that season. Uh, I, was in, I was in the Darroch. And you know, you've got place stowed out with people, bearing in mind the size of the crowd we took up to Firhill that day. You've got some people along for the day out that didn't even always go to Capelo. So you've got a real sense of momentum, people, you can pull in. And the first thing Dougie Ray says when he gets on the mic in there was, the first thing I want to do is thank Jim McInally." Well, he's got Davey Irons standing beside him. And it's just, God, you're never going to let this go, are you?
0: Aye, sorry to jump in. You're kind of getting into my next question Aye, sorry. there. So, it's all right. With fans wanting McInally gone, Douglas Ray is not only using his programme notes to lambast supporters expressing their views on McAnally, but going as far as suggesting that the Morton fan base should be more like Celtic's self-proclaimed best fans in the world. We'll go to you with this one, Alan. What damage do you think Ray's messaging to the support did during that period?
1: Aye. I, I, um, do you know what? Someone I was going to say, first of all, uh, mentioning obviously Celtic, McAnally and Douglas Ray just remembering back to uh, McAnally getting the job and apparently a big thing behind him getting the job was the glowing reference that he got from um, from Martin O'Neill um, who was the kind of all well was he all conquering at that point but and then going on uh, basically Douglas Ray taking absolutely everything that Jim Mcinally said and running with it and the state that the club were in, I, I think I'd mentioned it at the back end of episode one, uh, about the state of the youth system, um, which was as a result directly of Jim McAnally's say-so. Basically, uh, I would say Douglas Ray having such a blind spot for McAnally and not being able to admit that he'd actually got something wrong. Craig's um, basically um, encompassed it there by what happened in the dark uh, as a really kind of prime example of it. There's a brilliant opportunity going ruin the clubs, going round the, the pubs and the clubs and stuff like that to be rallying the fans and he's bringing it back and saying yous were wrong again. But I mean, picking up the programme notes every Saturday or every second Saturday and reading them and just shaking your head at that point. Um, it was, they, they were very much the start to the, the ramblings of a of a gentleman. I don't want to sound just there in any way, but I th- very much it, it had an impact. I would say. I think they.
0: I, I do think there were damage. I'll kind of go into my thoughts on Macanali in a moment, just in general. But to pick up on something that Craig had mentioned earlier, so during McAnally's tenure, there were numerous reports of the atmosphere at the training ground being far from professional. There was. Mm. naked table tennis tournaments mentioned, reports of players turning up drunk for training, this idea of team nights out getting out of hand, and just, yeah, an atmosphere that wasn't particularly conducive to success. Now, given results on the pitch were poor in the first division, and given that we had struggled to get out of the second, how damaging do you think those reports were when the support were kind of drip-fed this information about, all? Oh, this is what these guys are doing Monday to Friday. How damaging do you think that is?
1: I'd say it's pretty damaging, especially when you're finding, as it had been alluded to before, when you're taking a couple of absolute tonkins off of the third bottom side in the league, especially the Livingston one, and fans are looking and thinking, these guys aren't interested. These guys are probably, even by First Division standards, been pretty well... Pretty well paid. Um their conditions are great. He's built and he's he's actually built a training ground for them. The conditions that they're working in couldn't be any better and the performances, the gutless performances that they're coming out with. Um it's it's I mean, you remember the atmosphere uh, towards the very end of McNally's reign. It was in a cow shed. I mean, you mentioned the Clyde game, that was that 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 was that was toxic, wasn't it? Oh, it was the really Clyde game,
0: from memory, that was at least three quarters of the home support were absolutely, they were ringing out time to go at All full right. time. That wasn't, it had began, I would probably say, maybe two or three months before that. There was isolated pockets of fans that were voicing, were voicing their grievances against McAnally. And then the longer it went on and the more reports that we got from the training ground and it it grew in strength and it grew in number to the point where it was absolutely untenable. And thank God McAnally offered his resignation because I think he would still be in the capital dugout now if he hadn't.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and I think you have to also bear in mind in terms of raised blind spot about McAnally, the fact he'd rejected his resignation twice before as well. The reason that the the club stated publicly that McAnally gave for resigning was the fans won't get back on the side of the players again while while I'm still here. And so, and yes, that was absolutely right because I, I remember the, the full-time whistle in that Clyde game when that whistle went hardly anyone in the cowshed actually turned and left the ground everybody just stayed to shout time to go or oh, far worse things at McAnally yep and yeah it's true the the fans were never going to be back inside of the team while he was in charge and rightly so <laughs> but bear in mind McAnally
0: was part of the reason there and it's I've got it written down in my notes it's this will come out like so I'm just going to go for it I don't actually think the damage done during the McInally era can be understated. Now, this was a club that was rocked to its core by the betting scandal and really needed to heal. There was a massive rift between the club and the supporters that had to be bridged. McInally seemed absolutely intent on ensuring it remained in place or even worsening it. It was during that period that we became just, it, it became blindingly obvious just how much contempt the fan base was held in by the club and then you look, meanwhile on the terraces, anger turns to apathy, the crowd start to die away the supporters that have stayed get more and more angry because we can see this positive momentum dissipating before our eyes you know, you look at the momentum that we generated saving the club, winning the third division it just McAnally's tenure and McInally's way of operating had such a negative impact on the club, the players the supporters and I don't think at any point since there's ever been a feeling of unity about the club. And I can't help but trace that back to what I would determine to be a conscious effort made by McAnali to succeed at Morton in spite of the fan base rather than
2: succeed rather than succeeding alongside the fan base. Yeah, You're absolutely spot on. There's football clubs always talk about the benefit of creating a siege mentality and addressing re- you know the top managers will try to do that. It's very rare for a football club to try to create that siege mentality in the sense of it's your own supporters besieging you. But that's the yes. uh, that's the atmosphere of deliberately created around Capital.
1: I think as well. See, see, looking at that season, I think there's a really interesting parallel there uh, between us and Hamilton Ackies, who who won the league that year and had their number that year. And you look at how they are run as a club. They're run with a a young, pretty young kind of forward-looking chairman uh, and a manager who was in very good terms with him as well. I think wasn't it in Maitland? You look at how the the team that they had put together, right. Uh, a interest well, a local guy who would then go and play for his Mark McLaughlin, and as well as that, a guy like Alex Neil and team, they had young up front banging the goals in. They've got the fruits of their youth setup, um, which they had funded on their plastic pitch. Apparently with um basically players were going in and having to pay. Like young young players were parents were having to pay, do you know what I mean, to, to be part of the youth setup. But you've got three guys there from their youth setup as well. Um, I'm. Um, I mean, look at look at the size of their fan base, right? But as well as us, three or four years previous to this, um, in the two thousand and three four season, they'd been in the same league as us, and they'd gone up as we'd collapsed. Um, they are basically how we should have been run at that point, and you of reflect on the Ray McAnally and then is it McDonald and Maitland kind of parallel? They were how we should have been run. And we were we were basically a joke at that point. And, and another interesting wee parallel as well is putting it in the context of the kind of political climate of the time, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. This is just pre. This is just at the cusp of the financial collapse. This is right at the cusp of right. Basically, you live by debt. Right? Companies do well by like. Do you know what I mean? You're you get what you're wanting by building up debt. And that was our maximum at this time, wasn't it? It was basically right, we're gonna build it, we're gonna to get to where we need to get to. And that was that was Ray's approach. And unfortunately, that continued to be Ray's approach for for however many years afterwards.
2: Yeah, I think that parallel with Hamilton's a great point when you look at how they how they built up a core of a squad over time. And mm-hmm. then that squad moved into a position where they could win the league. Because sorry, I know I've already mentioned the recruitment that summer. But it didn't seem like we had any plan for what kind of squad we want to build. It was just like, oh, let's try bring this guy in for, for the crack and we'll see how he does. So that summer we chased after John Sutton and Simon, Simon Mensah. We spent weeks th- you know, going after these guys who realistically were never ever going to sign for Morton. You know, John Sutton was playing in the top flight and ended up going down to England. He was never realistically going to a newly promoted Scottish First Division club, regardless of how much money you threw at him. Simon Mensing left St. Johnston to go to to go to Motherwell. He was never realistically going to go to Morton instead. Mm. But we spent weeks going after guys like that who were just not realistic targets, just oh, this is a big name. It might get people excited. Chuck money at him. The exact same thing with Paul McGowan and to just understand how joined up the thinking at Morton was. McInley explicitly said on Sports Sound, I can remember listening to it, that oh yeah, we'd we'd offered a hundred grand for Paul McGowan. Celtic said no, I don't think we should be paying any more than that for a player, so our interest has ended. Then literally the same night, hours later, it's announced that Douglas Ray has decided off his own back, oh no, I'm bidding 150 grand for him. So like, the manager of the football club has just been on and said. No, the players not worth that. We're we're giving up. We're looking elsewhere, and the chairman just goes above his head and does it anyway. See like, what's it's a clown car operation.
1: Well, uh, I to 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 basically just carry on for that point uh, that Craig's made there. We kind of said this before, and this continued all the way through. See the vast majority of the signings that we've made uh, as guys that you. I mean, you, you can almost see Douglas Ray watching us playing against opponents scoring and seeing a guy scoring against us or seeing a guy playing well against us and going like that, I'm going to sign him. That's what's happened with Templeman. That's what I reckon's happened with Ian Dyak, by the way, as well. Right, He scored against us for Albion Rovers or something like that. Ian Russell as well. You could, Bobby Lynn, you can go through every single signing that we've made and going, he played well in a game against us. And as you're saying, there, there, there was no thought other than that look at who Hamilton are signing. Hamilton are signing Alec Neil, Richard Offion, guys like that. There's no chance we'd have been signing guys like that because our scouting, I'm going out on a i and saying this, I know nothing about what the scouting operation was at the time, but I'm imagining it was very, very minimal. Yeah. So
0: very briefly then, guys, we'll go to you first with this one, Alan. How would you summarise the
1: impact McAnally's tenure had on the club as a whole? Um, I think... Uh, Uh, On a whole, the fact that we'd stayed down in the second division and then um, the players that we signed and then after that as well, the relationship between Ray and the fans, um, it, it caused quite a bit of damage, I would say. Quite a bit of damage that we're still feeling just now.
2: See, as a general rule, you look at a manager's tenure at a club and you say, well, you know what, he's left them in a higher division than he's taken them over. He can't have been that bad. No, he, he was that bad. Uh, he, Morton have not, you were right with what you said earlier, Morton have not recovered from the legacy of Jim McInally. still in terms of the relationship between the club and the support. Jim McAnally was sort of the defining issue that caused that schism between Douglas Ray and the support and that only widened over time and made the relationship worse sorry I know we've got a lot of seasons to get through here but there was just one other event from that season which again about the professionalism of the club I wanted to just quickly touch on was... I love having you on podcast running <laughs> I <mean>, so <laughs> it was uh, Chris Miller so you recall it was it was the December of that season that it was announced that Chris Miller had signed a pre-contract with St Johnston. And there oh, was this... get
0: put on gardening leave for weeks. Then. Yep,
2: there was a furious reaction from the club. Properly furious. Uh, he'll never play for the club again. He's, he's gone behind the club's back to do this, and it uh, turned out the club were actually telling a pack of lies about Chris Miller, <laughs> uh, and th- because that that day that it was announced, there was a from the office of the chairman statement put on the put on the website. And it contains the sentence in it, and I quote, only this week I wrote a note to Chris's agent, arranging to meet with him in Greenock on 21st of February to discuss a new contract extension for Chris. Now, why, when a player has less than six months on his deal, why would you arrange to do the contract talks after that six months is up and you know he's free to talk to other clubs? Is it because, perhaps, you don't have a clue what you're doing? (laughs) And you knew the club were up to something because when fans dived on that, on that statement at places like the Forum, they actually amended the statement to remove that sentence you're mentioning the, the 21st of February thing. They were being <laughs> so inherently dishonest about everything that had happened, like we all buttoned up the back. And of course, it, it became very apparent that we were not going to win games without Chris Miller in the team. And so after, after five games out of the team, which included that, which culminated in that six-one hammering at Livingston. All of a sudden, he was back in the team and all was forgiven. It was a pretty ridiculous episode that just summed up, summed up the the incompetence. By the way, what I would say though um,
1: is it would wee... Be- Dean had got a correspondence last week from uh, 1874 on on Twitter. Hello to Ian. Uh, Who had bumped into, who had mentioned about um, Gillian Donaldson's role and all this. Um, And it just interesting when Craig's saying about the six-month thing and the club no-known what they were doing, bearing in mind that, I mean, it it was only two or three years later after this, I'm sure we'll come on to it, where we had a, a similar incident Couple of instance with Michael Tidzer uh, and probably looking at the role of a chief executive, probably no known, knowing what they were doing. So that's maybe something to be thrown in to the mix as well, just about the whole operation of the club and how it has been run at this time. But I would, the, the, the one thing I was remembering about that season was Chris Miller at the end of the season and how absolutely delighted he was that we'd stayed up. That was a guy, yeah. by the way, who when he knew he was moving to another team, how professional he was, by the way, for how he was treated earlier on to come back in. uh, And do you know what I mean? The way that he played, he was extremely professional. Oh, I think, yeah, absolutely credit to him. And
0: when you think of both what happened to the club as a whole and the way Miller was treated, the fact that he was still putting in these incredible performances and the, the reaction when we did stay up I think speaks to to Miller's professionalism and his
2: character mm-hmm. uh, Speaking of incredible performances and staying up we're almost half an hour into talking about the 2007-2008 season we've not mentioned the name Brian Wake yet Yeah we were going to round off with our <laughs> lord and saviour would you <laughs> would you like to lead us off Dunning? Why not? Why not? Well l- let's start with how Brian Wake looked when he first signed for the club uh, Stunning, I next <laughs> No, I, I do remember there was a game at home to Stirling Albion, which we did end up winning 2-1 anyway, but there was a point in that game where Wake was literally round the keeper with just a defender to beat on the line, and he passed it he you know, he was so devoid of confidence when he first signed, he, ha- he had just a defender on the line to beat, and he passed it to Weatherson, who was offside <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> the, the, the the turnaround. Uh, just the way one goal gave him confidence and I remember away at St Johnston that day, Wake came on as a sub and some people who shall shall remain nameless started singing Brian Wake, Brian Wake, Brian Brian Wake gets the ball, scores a goal, Brian Brian Wake and the whole stand pretty much bursting out laughing because the idea of Wake scoring was laughable Connor comes in Wake brings it down, bang and a legend was born
1: those last three games, I, think, I mean, it as Donnie's just said there, uh, there was nothing to suggest, I would say, before those last three games, really, um, that he was going to have the impact that he did. But if, the four goals in those last three games are what's kept his up. Um, I was looking at the tables. It was actually that third goal kept his up. The, the, the third goal yeah. at Farrell. Yep. A kept, single goal. Is what, is what kept his up. And his performances over those two games, especially the last game, I mean, my there, there should be a statue to him. I would say, um, or probably on Douglas. Ro- Get it done on Douglas Ray Road, possibly. Maybe have a, a statue to him there. That'd be good. Um, on the top of the wee Dublin, then? aye, in uh, yep.
2: p- the centre oh. circle. <laughs> A statue of him performing that cleftum, or to give it its correct title. This, yes, to Thank you, you. Tom.
0: <laughs> right, we should probably, <laughs> yes, we're going to stick an ad in and compose ourselves and get back to <laughs> normality. <laughs> Just One Cornetto is brought to you in association with the Inverclyde Boiler Company and the Inverclyde Bathroom Company. Shane and his team offer the very best design, installation, aftercare and customer service and are very proud to serve the Inverclyde community. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram or call them on 01475 So we'll then move on to talk about McAnally's successor, Davy Irons. So... He takes over in February two thousand and eight. Irons inherits what he described to me in an interview earlier earlier on in the podcast as a good first division squad with some experienced pros in there. I think it's safe to say there's not much of what I would describe as a new manager bounce, but we are scrapping away. We're picking up draws. I think we we beat Stirling Albion. Heading into the last few games, it's obviously it, it's in our own hands. We. Steamrolled in Fairland, 3-0 at Capolo, take it to the final day, and then obviously, as we've we've talked about, Brian Wheat keeps us up with that single goal. Moving on then to the following season, Irons retains the majority of the squad, and after a quite a kind of slow stuttering start, I think Clyde equalised right on the death of the first game of the season, and it took a, a good little while to recover from that. The performances in the second and third quarters of that season are actually some of the most enjoyable that I've seen from the club. Irons is then sacked six games into the following season and we'll get on to how he's replaced. So, moving on to that season in 08-09, the team finished sixth. The highlight is beating Hibbs in the League Cup at Easter Road 4-3 with those incredible scenes with Ryan Harding. I'll go to you with this one, Craig, do you think sixth place was a,
2: a fair placement given the the team's endeavours that season? I think we should have ended up higher in the league because you've got to remember with four games to go, we were sitting third. I, we could still mathematically win the league at that point, of course. We were never realistically going to do that. But I finishing sixth was disappointing in the end. I think if you look at the start of that season, that you know, we didn't win in the first nine games. Yeah. and Irons was Aye. definitely just one game from the sack at that point. Yeah, no, definitely it was, yeah. So I think the problem in that first nine games, I think Irons was maybe a bit too keen initially to stick with a system we previously. So we started that season with you know, playing the same system we'd used in those Dunfermline and Partick games at the end of the previous season. And yeah, you can see the logic there we'd been a relegation battling team who could barely win a game and then we go and hand out two 3-0 houndings (laughs) yeah, sounds great but you've you've got to remember we were chasing goal difference Dunfermline and Partick's seasons were both over in those games Aye, they were in New York already mm -hmm. Aye, quite and then I think he was just a bit too keen to to persist with the system so after a few games he ditches that system because I we're not getting the win. And you do wonder how different things might have been if we just hung on that day at Clyde, which, by the way, the ref absolutely did us in that game. Oh, it was
0: seven or eight minutes of injury time, and from memory, I think they scored in the seventh. Oh, yeah, it was
2: literally the last t- touch of the ball they, they scored the header with. Just sort of every, t- every time Irons would change the system, he'd just persist with it until it delivered a bad result. There wasn't really much of a thought process in... How, how opponents might, might exploit it so for example yeah we had that absolutely brilliant night at Easter Road we're in 4-3 then on the back of it he decides well I'll just carry on with that shape then and yeah we set up the same way against You're the other game yes with, and you'll recall at Easter Road we'd started that with a, with a back three with Alex Walker as a left-sided centre-back Walker got injured and Jordan Weatherson came on for him at centre-back yeah that Game at Airdrie, Peter Weatherson on the on the left side of a back three. Yeah, that didn't go well. He got subbed off in the first half and we were 3-0 down as we went on to lose 5-0 with Scott McLaughlin having scored a double. But, but mm-hmm. other than that day, we weren't really being outclassed in that run. It was just a team with a massive mental block, I think. you know, We'd conceded a stoppage time equaliser against Clyde, conceded it against Unfermline then there was that toxic feeling coming back in because then we had yeah. got beat 3-0 at Ross County then we were up again at Ross County in the Challenge Cup the following week lost 4-1 both those we'll games get, are the, yes, yes we'll get to them yeah <laughs> but yeah once we once we got over that with the win against Clyde where you know James Grady scoring on his debut we won five of the next six games after that. And over the course of the 23 games, starting with that Clyde game, we were actually the best team in the division. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we took took more points than anyone from that day to the fifth last game of the season. It was just a horrible start. And then a team down in tools for the last four games once the season was Mm -hmm. realistically over. That, That Irons team, I think,
0: was a very impressive team. See, once they found their feet and they got used to what was a a big contrast in styles between McAnally and Irons. They played good football in that it was direct and it was physical football, but it always had a purpose. And it's something that I talk about constantly, especially when I'm coaching. Everything that you do on a pitch should have a purpose. See if it's a 40-yard raking pass into a big target man centre-forward. That's fine. See if there's a point to it and you're gaining territory, you're gaining possession, you're getting yourselves up the pitch, giving your back four a breather. that to me is far more successful and far more in tune with what I want to see from Morton than six slow pedestrian passes between a holding midfielder in the back four, trying to make a wee half turn and find a gap see if it's going to be successful and if it's going to put teams off their game which I think Irons Morton's side was incredibly good at then absolutely persist with it, and it actually annoyed me quite a bit, the stick that Irons used to get from some quarters of the Morton support, because what he was doing, don't get me wrong, see when it wasn't working, it looked dreadful. I'll accept that. But see when it worked, it worked well. And I think that there's a reason that Irons took this Morton team higher than McAnally ever could. And I think the style and his style of management had a big part
1: to do with that. Yeah, pretty much agree with that. I'm just, just kind of looking at a couple of things I've been doing here. And One of the first things that he's done there is he, he brought in two goalkeepers at the start of that season, didn't he? He'd brought in Stewart and he'd brought in Cuthbert as well. Um, And it obviously designed for them to kind of fight it out. I do seem to remember... That that first game and the equaliser that we'd lost was Stuart selling the jerseys. He'd gone out for a cross and made a complete hash it, and the guys stuck it in. The other players that we'd sign were obviously interesting as well. With Shimon and Newby um, both of them I think were clearly trialists. Um, Shimon when he could be bothered was was a standout. Uh, Easter Road, he was great. I also remember, I, was it, we, we won 1-0 at on away. I seem to remember, we one in for about it was about 25 yards and Shimon was Sherman was outstanding. Um, it, it, the team had a clear identity. I mean, he it, had signed big, strong players, but as you said, th, th, it, we weren't just a long ball team. Part no, identity was playing, is probably aye, the word that I was going for there. Aye. Part of Obviously, where throwing, but also just his kind of presence in the middle of the park was somebody that I had kind of noted In That Clyde game that Grady scored in was that was the one game for a sack one, for the sack from A side, from the sack, wasn't it? <laughs> um, Aye. But um, the run that they've gone on after that. And I do just seem to remember those last four games of the season because at one point we, we were second in the league. I think weren't we? We no, we were no danger of winning the league, obviously, but we were second in the league. Yeah, um, the
0: day that the day that St Johnston clinched the league when we were up there, mm-hmm. I think we were one nothing up at half time, if my memory serves me. If if we'd have held on to that, we would have moved into second.
1: Mm-hmm. Roast, um,
0: we the, were within touching distance
1: of the top spot at one point of that season I mean the last game of the season it, Ross County for the the houndings that they gave us and then that was the last game of the season they beat us 2-0 and it was a comfortable 2-0 and it was a down tools 2-0 they that actually secured their them staying up as far as I can remember and I we look at the table they finished third bottom and that's I mean we'd as much as Dunferman and Partick you could have said we're were in Maglofe or whatever when we played them the season before that was us with four games to go and it was it was disappointing but um, looking at the other guys that we've signed going back to the theme of he played well against us so we'll sign him was Masterton um, who had excelled against us for Clyde obviously he's got that goal against Hubs, which has thankfully been caught on somebody's mobile phone I think as well uh, with, with the scenes behind the goal, but um, we're where and see coming out of that season, can into the next season. I know we'll go into it, but it was one of them you're thinking with that team we could we could be doing something here. But as has been spoken about in the interview that you had, where with, with irons uh, always not well behind the scenes and. Um, Poor Douglas, I mean, he, he he didn't have his best pal Jim McAnally there and Iron's wasn't a Jim, was he? Well, that's, that's <laughs> the point that we were going to move on
0: to. So, Iron stated in, in our interview that he never really felt accepted by the club. He also mentioned the difficult atmosphere around the club and that several players had very close relationships with the chairman. The story that he told about, being lambasted in the boardroom because you blew the budget signing McGuffey and Jenkins. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, every other board member sits silently and refuses to correct Douglas Ray. Irons also recalled that, on occasion, Ray was using his match day notes to take digs at Irons and his tactics. We'll go to you with this one first. Craig, what's your reaction to those revelations?
2: It's just embarrassing. You always have... We've always heard stories of... Just how unprofessional Morton were off the park. You think nothing will be able to surprise you. But Davy Irons telling that story of Douglas Ray confronting him, of you blew the budget on McGuffey and Jenkins when McGuffey and Jenkins were signed by Dougie's best pal McAnally. It does sign, seem be a belief. from Irons no less. Y- yes. Yes, Davy Irons was the Gretna manager. <laughs> <laughs> Gavri's <laughs> credit. Irons had some part in that. <laughs> <transfer>. <laughs> but you, it's just unbelievable. I mean, in terms of you know the, the wider issue of are uh, the players having close relationships with the chairman. uh yes, we'll we'll come on to players speaking to the chairman behind Irons' back uh, again. I'm sure, mm. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> just. There was always this talk among Morton fans, and I did find it quite annoying of, Urgh, Irons is too hard on the players, he's too tough on them. So so these are the exact same supporters who've been complaining for years. Urgh, the club should have backed Cowboy over the players, McCormack should never have been sacked. The exact same fans who were complaining the entirety of McAnally's time in charge these players are, are mollycoddled, the manager's too friendly with them. We need a disciplinarian in to, to to you know, get them in line. And then the second you've got Irons in charge, it's, oh, he's he's working the players too hard. I remember it was the pre-season of that season, I think, that a couple of players got hernias and everyone went mental going, see, Irons is deliberately injuring players. He's working them too hard. It's like, for God's sake, pick an argument and stick with it. Be consistent one way or the other. Either the players <laughs> are being worked too hard or... or the, <laughs> you, pick one, damn it. I hate mountain <laughs> fans.
0: I'd actually forgotten all about that. The Irons is deliberately injuring
1: players. I'd,
0: yeah, that slipped my mind. Yeah. But yeah.
1: <laughs> I think where that had come from, though, was, um, again... More leaks coming out of the club, I think. Again, um, I'm, I'm trying to think who those yes. leaks could have come from. But um, that there'd been a suggestion that um, the physio, had spoken. No, no, there'd been a suggestion that the physio had spoken to Irons about the training techniques and some of the drills that they were doing, and asked them maybe not to do them because kind of repetitive stuff and things that they were doing were causing. Strains and stress injuries, or whatever. Um, and McIntyre had said no, so I th- think that is where the kind of comments about him training them too hard it wasn't as much training them too hard as how he was training them, but um, again, it's, it's doing a manager, I suppose, isn't it? So, looking
0: back, Irons isn't the only person that's been involved with Morton during this period who's spoken about this sort of atmosphere and the sort of workings and the sort of dealings that went on inside Capello. What impact do you think actions
1: like this have on the club's professional reputation? We'll go to you with this one, Alan. Um, obviously, there's been other interviews that I've heard. Of, I seem to remember Scott, Scott McLaughlin on, Tellemys Pelly, uh, and I seem to remember, I'm sure there was another former player uh, in there as well who actually kind of said similar things to what Davy Irons had said in terms of Douglas Ray being in the changing room um, Douglas Ray's kind of impact and been very very hands-on with some of, the, some of the playing stuff maybe mixing metaphors here or whatever but um, in terms of professionally right players would have known um, because we were using quite a lot of players at, at this time. I think I think the next season, by the way, we used over thirty odd players. Um, it's 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 got to have an impact, right? Because it's it's well known, right, that this was this was the case that this is what Douglas Ray did. Um, it's got to have an impact. Yeah,
2: yeah. The the club's reputation. I think it's it's around this time that the club's. Re- Reputation becomes a sort of open secret in football circles, and players maybe start to avoid Morton for precisely that reason, where where they wouldn't have before, because we were still when we were a second division club. You know, were still paying a very good wage for that level. Your know, players are still going to want players at that level. View Morton as as a big club. One. When we're in the first division, we're no longer the big fish, and if you have a choice between a supposedly well done, I, I was about to use the film as an example. Definitely can't say well done club <laughs> <laughs> at that point in time. <laughs> but no, no. You, but, but but you get you get my point. Uh, you know, when you have that just reputation for a lack of professionalism, you're know, pissing about at training. Poor training facilities and just a toxic environment around the club in general. Players are gonna want to go elsewhere. And yeah, it does start affecting the club's reputation as a whole. And that's not that's not to say that the dressing room was all was all bad apples, because you, oh, you you you, there were some great characters and there were guys who over Davy Iron's time and charts really really excelled. You look at the transformation in Stuart Greeson under Davey Irons. Greeson was yeah. going to be my go-to example there. Yeah. yeah. G- do you know... Yeah, he, he he didn't look good enough for the first division under McAnally. All of a sudden, he looked colossal under Irons. Even guys like Alex Walker, who
0: I really liked as a player, and if memory serves me, it was injuries that, that kind of that ended his career I thought Alex Walker especially under Irons was
1: a cracking player Do you know it? It something I I think I might have shared this with you Dean um, just looking through seasons 2007, eight, eight, 9, nine 10, and then so on we scored in each of those seasons we scored 40 goals I think it was one season mm-hmm. we scored 39 the difference between this season and the season before was the goals against Colm it was yeah. considerable and that has to get down to uh, Irons and how he's got players that you're just mentioning there, like uh, Greasy, like Walker, and how how he's kind of influenced them. We were a difficult team to play against. We didn't concede goals. It's just, it's it's, it's unfortunate that uh, the last three games, I know we'll go on to the next season, but the last three games of Irons' years were 5-0, 3-0 and 3-0 defeats, um, which kind of goes against everything that was great about his this season before.
0: So yeah, we'll then move on to the the last season where Irons has six games at the start of the campaign. They don't go well. We're beating 3-0 away at Wraith Rovers up at Starks Park. Irons is told to report to Capolo at 9 o'clock on Monday morning and as he pulls into the car park, there are two senior members of the squad sitting outside in a car trying to squint themselves down in the seats so that they're not spotted. And Irons is relieved of duty shortly after Grady and McManus are appointed. What did you guys make of that? Give me, give me your thoughts on the whole situation, Craig. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, right, well, that adult language disclaimer is going to come in <laughs>
2: quite handy here, isn't it? It, it might do. No, <laughs> right, um Looking purely on the park, regardless of the reasons for it, we'll wear players downing tools to get Irons out, etc. At at the point where we've started the season, we're one win and five defeats. You've had three defeats in a row of 5-0, 3-0 and 3-0. I think Ray's really got no choice at that point. Irons does have to go there and then. And looking at the squad building over the summer, we didn't really change anything from the previous season, which I think is quite understandable. You, know, when you look at how good we were for yeah a significant absolutely. chunk of that season, but yeah, the only real major changes to that squad were we released Chris Smith, good. We signed Neil McFarlane, who you know had been a good player, but I think that season was just one too many for him. He wasn't. Yeah, great, I think yeah. we,
0: we kind of got him. Much, I think very much in the Mark McLaughlin category, where he, we got an excellent player two or three years too late. Aye.
2: Um but yeah, so Grady and McManus. Um le- let me state for the records, this is not just me with a benefit of hindsight. I never liked either of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> I thought going back see going back to the previous season, that five 0 game at Airdrie, uh McManus could have just got punted that day uh for the way he got sent off, you know. Mm. Oh, what? What? Five mil down. I'm just going to go in two footed on a boy to get myself sent off because I can't mm-hmm. be asked anymore. Nah, mm-hmm. nah, dick. Um, Hold on,
0: that happened quite recently, did it? Oh wait, no, we will not to talk about that.
2: <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that was also a centre back, wasn't it? Hmm, interesting. Alle- interesting. Allegedly. <laughs> Left back. But yeah, a, um I, look, you can appoint a senior player um, you know, as manager. Fair enough. It's quite a logical thing to do, really. Um, you know, someone who knows the squad's most experienced player there, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I, there, there, there's a way to go about things. And uh, yes, literally sit, sitting in the corridor as uh, Grady left Ray's office. Uh, as, as Irons left his office, though, so, like, Jesus Christ, that's, that's sneaky, that.
0: Yeah, that's, I, I think a snaking, we, we kind of talk about it out with, kind of, the realms of the podcast, when we're, when we're in the pub, and the like, I, I think a snaking is the, the term to yes. use, I, I it's, think it's, we all know. It's known... the title to use, Snake Grady and Snake McManus. <laughs> <laughs> I think, none of us are naive enough to, to think that, Everything in football is all peaches and cream and all, all above board. These sort of things happen in football. But in general, I think the way Davy Irons was treated by the club was abysmal and really quite revealing as to just how toxic the atmosphere behind the scenes at Capelo has been for quite a large part of the A tenure. The idea that a manager could be in place for as long as Irons was not and still have to say that he didn't feel welcome at the club, that's absolutely not on. Irons, I've I've said it there, Irons played some of the most enjoyable football, from my point of view anyway, in that period. And when I was speaking to him for the interview, I can't help but really feel sorry for him. It was really quite obvious that there was a lot of internal politics that he was having to deal with. And ultimately he paid the price for you know, there were players going to what I would describe as an overreaching chairman who quite clearly held a grudge against everyone and anyone that he had to let McAnally leave. In what possible universe is that environment going to produce success? Now, in the course of that same season, Ray threatens to walk away after fans had two punch-ups in two weeks up at Ross County. Now, Ray, without a hint of irony spoke about the damage that he'd done to the club and that that atmosphere. Uh, oh, you're, you're damaging the club. Look at the atmosphere in Capel at that time. Are you honestly telling me that fans having a, having one drink too many and a punch-up was the biggest issue at the club that time? Absolutely not. You're moaning about fans having a punch-up on the terrace at Dingwall and don't get me wrong, that's abysmal and that shouldn't happen. I'm uh, Not for one second suggesting otherwise. See when you've got players coming and running to you complaining about the manager and you actively encouraging it while simultaneously refusing to give
1: a manager training balls? Nah, absolutely not on. The thing that comes out of that season at the start, just going back to it, was uh, the... Again, the rumours filtering out of the capital where Irons had been been given control of the budget and this is the last time that Douglas Ray was ever going to give a manager full control of a budget um, and how he'd spent it. Looking at it, this is a season that we did field over 30 players with goalkeeping issues. Um, With Bryn Halliwell starting the season, I seem to remember, Ryan McWilliams being thrown in he was in for the for 5-0 I think wasn't he um, at Partick um, when he was basically put in about half an hour before kickoff or something like that he then went and played another few games didn't he um, Irons had a core of experienced players there I know we mentioned Neil McFarlane um, he did have to go Right but on reflection, oh, absolutely, they've, yeah. They've, they've, they've down they, they, they have tools. Um, Grady and McManus, when they come in, Grady and McManus won their first two games. Um, this, this, it was around this time for about three years that we seem to have Queen of the South number away from home. Aye. We seem to give them quite a few batterings. Um, yeah. the thing that kind of strikes me here as well is with a period. Brian Wake scored four goals in two games uh, with a with a five 0 home game uh, home win to Wraith, um, where he got two. I think they might have had a sending off or something like that early on, um, and then we won four two away to er- Airdrie. Er- I think Van Zanten, did you, I, I think that was one of the games. Aye, Van Zanten, Van Zanten Van uh, a uh, left foot. Aye. Aye. right, right after that though, Brian Wake's dropped, and then he's released. He's brought back for the Celtic game in which he played well. And then he's that was his
0: last game. Yep. And it's also he's worth bearing the mind. He was the in mind Aye. He was the club's top scorer when he was released. And not only that, Wake actually in the first division alone, Wake had a better goals
1: to start ratio than Wetterson did. Yeah. Um but again the, the amount of players that were brought in, there was Simmons was brought in, wasn't it late on. Um obviously with uh coming came in, he got he get five and Five and nine games, he's got the hat trick against Queen of South. Where that wee running, but but we as well as that, I seem to remember that season, I was dredging out points with three rearranged midweek games in March, uh, and we got we got a one and two draws. And there I seem to remember. Um, but the last game of the season, I mean, see if, see if we're talking about um, kind of atmospheres within the club. Remember that last game of that season against Air felt nothing like any of the other games where we've won the last game to stay up that was just that was a different atmosphere altogether at that game I felt um, and I mean I mean, we, we, we were a shambles that season we were a complete shambles and it was we've got to point a point of finger at um, the two guys that have snaked the manager um, but we've also got to point a point of finger at how the club's been run at that time um, whether that's Ray Donaldson whoever else we <laughs> want to point at See if you're going
0: to come in and undercut a manager and take his job. At least have a
2: better idea of how to play than just a flat 4-4-2. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to come on to, just talking about Grady's competence as a manager generally. So Alarm Bells first rang for me before he'd even managed a game's caretaker when uh, he said to the Tilly, well, first things first, I don't think I've been playing enough. <laughs> like, sorry, James, you're, <laughs> you're 38. You were a very good player, even maybe as recently as five years ago. Now you are pish. You can't run. <laughs> l- l- luckily, after summing himself on in his first ga- game in charge, he decided to never play again. So that was... A was that up sh- at Inverness? No, it was at Capelo. I remember a game up at
0: Inverness where he went from having the tracksuit on to whipping the cat off and jumping on the park.
2: Uh maybe I've got that wrong then. Maybe, maybe it was a f- he, he did put himself on a few times then. But uh...
0: like, it was Inverness away, and I was about sixteen. Do not take my
2: <laughs> word for anything. <laughs> but aye, what what you've said about the flat four four two, right? So. We've all seen lots of inept Morton managers over the years. We've seen Morton managers who don't have a good grasp of tactics, who are too wedded to one formation or one style of play. I'm sure we'll get on to a manager who is dogmatic about football during this podcast. James Grady <laughs> is the only Morton manager I've seen who literally doesn't know what tactics are. It was so blatantly apparent all he was doing in preparation for every single game was saying, right, flat four four two today, lads. That was it. It's like, James, that isn't a game plan, that's a formation. Like, you've got to have some sort of idea of how you're gonna win this game. But no, just flat four four two, go out and hope it works out for the best. We were so, so crap. And I remember um as well, shortly after he took over, just showing how how much your tactical preparation was clearly being done at training and going back to the point of oh, Irons is working these players too hard you need someone to to be nicer to them Grady, Grady actually did say to the Tilly aye we, we think the boys are be, we're being worked a bit too hard in training so we've reduced we've uh, reduced the amount of time they're in they're only in for 90 minutes a day now I so, forgot about that as well. That's scandalous. So, what, all your fitness work, all your ball work, all your tactical work, 90 minutes a day, four times a week? Really?
0: <laughs> Tell you what, I am going to stick an ad in there because we are very much running long here. Cool.
2: Okay, right, make one more point before you put the ad in. and uh, Yeah, just Go cut the then. ad after this. And yeah, Alan... Took my point already. I'd also looked out the uh, the f- scoring forty goals two seasons run uh, three seasons running stat, but uh, yeah, th- that was the change from two thousand eight two thousand nine to two thousand nine two thousand ten. When bear in mind, we basically had we basically started the season with the same the same defence. We we conceded forty in two thousand eight two thousand nine. We conceded sixty five in two thousand nine mm-hmm. two thousand ten. Yep. Now clearly that's not only down to Grady because as we've said Ireland's last three games in charge alone we can see the are living yep. but god almighty um, I think that speaks to the complete lack of tactical organisation under Grady that there was no idea of how to organise a defence how to set up Titan to... space based rum is inspired by
0: Clydeside Heritage and...
2: sorry, uh, sorry,
0: technical <laughs> sorry. malfunction there <laughs> Sorry not, not trying to hurry up and in but get to the point
2: <laughs> Yeah, there was no grasp of how to set up a defence, how to, you know, to defend set pieces. It was just throw the players out, hope for the best, and that's why the defence was crap. James Grady right. is the worst modern manager for me. In the words of Winston Ingram, I'm trying to fast-forward
0: due to the punchline. <laughs> that, that was it. Fuck Excellent. James Grady. <laughs>
2: Do not take that Titan Spice Rum is
0: inspired by Clydeside Heritage and Inverclyde's incredible scenery. Their aged Caribbean rum is infused with Scottish raspberries, a hint of golden syrup, exotic spices, and pure Caledonian water. You can now pre-order their second batch, which is available from the 2nd of July. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at (laughs) Titan Spirits LTD.
2: I'm not cutting that. Excellent. <laughs> that's the that's oh. the kind of content that t- Titan Spice Rum want to be advertising <laughs> on. <laughs> yes, we're about to lose all sponsorship for
0: this podcast. Just because, oh. just so Craig can shout his mouth off. Right. I know I know we're done
2: with Grady and McManus. But but Dunning. I forgot about the telegraph Dunning. article McManus gave after. This is Bunfield. <laughs> fuck your legitimate and peaceful request I am, I am reading I am reading the McManus article in the Tilly oh. out so McManus was very upset understandably any you know any management team being sacked in football are going to be upset about it I am going to just read verbatim everything McManus said speaking for the both of us we were absolutely devastated we worked to achieve the remit given to us people said it was to stay in the division but we were led to believe staying out of the playoffs would mean the job was as good as ours Things changed, and for whatever reason, that was no longer the case. We feel this is one of the biggest mistakes the chairman has ever made. When we (laughs) went in, the club was at its lowest ebb possibly ever. And with regards to players and staff, we managed to get everyone pulling in the right direction. We got to where we wanted to be in terms of hitting the first target. And we were under no illusion as to what had to be done to take the club forward. We had plans in place which were ready to be implemented right through pre-season and beyond blah, 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 we had real momentum and were really excited about where we wanted to take the club. The club have said they are looking for an experienced management team, but I'll be very interested to see whether who comes in has more experience of the First Division than myself and James. If it works out for the benefit of the club, it is the right decision, but we don't believe it is. Now, what the fuck? (laughs) Sorry, Yeah, I'm just going to say... Take out a specific (laughs) sentence there. When we went in, the club was at its lowest ebb possibly ever. What an absolute dickhead. It was less than 10 years ago that that Morton Football Club was in administration, and he's saying, Oh, the club's at its lowest ebb possibly ever because players, including me and James Grady, don't really like David Irons. Fuck you. (laughs) I hate Alan McManus. We had real momentum, he says, as we won one of our last eight games of the season. If James or Alan are listening
0: and you would like the right to the reply, then feel free to get in (laughs) touch.
2: Let me introduce them.
1: Craig, can I ask <laughs> at this point, did you have any sympathy at all for them when they get sacked right after the fans game?
2: Oh, yeah, right, that was, Gentlemen, I have fucking about that inf- detail. No, no, it's done. No, that wasn't. Right, we're moving on to...
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do I not get a reply? No, no, you don't. So, we're going um, to move on to Alan Moore and you're going to like it, Dunning. So, yeah. Moore's appointed ahead of the 10-11 season. I don't think there's much to write home about in these first two seasons. Underwhelming, quite forgettable seasons. Obviously, the third season kicks into life. We're up there challenging with Partick. And it, we've, we go on this excellent run of away form. We're sitting top of the
1: league in January. What are your kind of standout memories from that one, Alan? Right. Do you know the thing I'm going to say, first of all, is Moores come in and he's another one that um, Douglas Ray likes him. Uh, And he's backed him. He was a manager with a half-decent stock at the time. Again, he's another one that, um, oh, his teams are doing well against Morton. He must be a good manager. He'd be a good choice. Um, He was backed, wasn't he, financially? Because yeah. who, yeah, who's who's brought in in 2010, McCaffrey, Smith, O'Brien, Basharou, and also the Giants that are Kevin Kelby and Jonathan Toto came in later on, didn't they? Um, we I thought we'd see, see those first two seasons. We absolutely flattered to deceive. We should have we should have done better in 2010, 11, and 11, 12, with the backing that he got, with the players that he had. Jenkins is our main man in 2010, 11. Tidza was given a full season. was coming through. A really concerning thing throughout most time was uh, us in the Cups against higher-level sides. We took some batterings, didn't we? Um, I think it's also worth noting that we gave out some batterings. See, the likes the
0: Stringrattar. we absolutely blew these teams away. And for those of us who spotted this quite early, made a fair bit of money off a Paddy Pillar. Right. What was that? Oh, aye. See, so just like the Strenrad game, I think was a, there was an East Stirling game, just, and you could still at that point, you could get minus one, minus two, minus three, right. Morton to win by four goals or more, and Morton to score five or more. It was
1: ridiculous money you could win off these games. But again, sorry, that was... I, I, Again, by the way, see the see the next season, right? And he's back to again in next season, isn't he? Piso Jackson, even bringing in Dejaco Giacomo, who on the face of it you look and he's got a decent goal return, but the fact that about five or six of them were against Strindra, uh, you get four, <laughs> didn't he? Archie Campbell as well. The, yep. the four of them were in double figures uh, for like across all the competitions, but again. That season we finished third bottom and scored guess how many goals? Forty. Oh, this is... yep. As well as that, by the way, I've get, we we played five goalkeepers in twenty eleven, twenty twelve. So that's right. Stuart was Domin- that not when we had the goalkeeper crisis and we ended up with Davey Wiley on the bench? R- no, that was uh, that was when Ryan Mc that's when we went to rugby park where Ryan in goal. with Ryan Williams and go with we with Dominic Chervy, Alan Combe towards the end, Matt McGinley. And uh, Alistair Deans is down as having got a game at some point as well. Um, we yeah. used I used a lot of players in the standout from that point. And, and I've got to say that, that his card was marked at that point in that Motherwell away game, playing Craig Little at left back against Jamie Murphy. That was that was shocking. And it had shades of, he never learned a lesson, it had shades of sticking away at left back at Partick the next season at how um see, see see on reflection, right, Moore was backed and he we had players in. He I I think there was players that we got in at that point that Irons would have loved to have had, I reckon. And he we underperformed majorly under Alan Moore, I would say.
2: I think there was a feeling when Moore first took over that right this is the first time that Ray's actually gone out and got a manager with a track with a track record. You can you can talk about what that track record actually was mm-hmm. in the sense of, I it's been with a part-time team. Whenever he's had that part-time team in the championship, they've gone well the first division then rather. Uh, they've gone back down, but yeah, he's actually a manager who's had some sustained success where you can argue none of the previous appointments really were. And I think the proof of that, that Ray felt that way, was that he gave him a three-year deal. But but I think there's little doubt that if he'd be given a two-year deal, he'd have been away at the end of that second season. Because, aye, they were just so nondescript and uneventful. They're just so forgettable. There's nothing that really stands out about them. And yeah, there were good players recruited. But uh, I, I do think it's worth noticing, just mentioning your know, Bashiru being signed and breaking through, and obviously Bashiru is still young at the time. You know, just moved to a new country, so he's maybe not ready to be thrown straight into the team. But that eleven twelve season, Bashiru played less games than Graham Holmes and Carlo Monte did, which is quite funny looking back on it. You know, we, we could yeah. have been pl- we could have been playing a midfield of. Bashiru, Tidzer and Jenkins. But we had to give game time to Graham Holmes, Carlo Monte and Darren Young. (laughs) (laughs) So I tell you what, we'll move away from
0: the kind of almost season um, in 2012-13. We'll move on to the following season. There's obviously a lot to to unpack in this one. So first kind of first event of that season, Michael Tidzer sold to Rotherham Rotherham in the summer for a 50k cash deal.
2: What did you make of that deal, Craig? Ridiculous. (laughs) Not so much, the valuation is not so much the issue as how the club went about receiving that transfer fee. So, Rotherham had made an offer of 50 grand in instalments. This was all public record because Douglas Ray put it on the public record. The club rejected it. Then, while waiting for another offer to come back in, Douglas Ray just goes and publicly says to the Greenwich Telegraph, we've, we've rejected an offer of 50 grand in installments. If they come back and offer 50 grand up front, we'll take it. <laughs> so funnily enough, Rotherham came back and offered 50 grand up front. It's like, what are you doing? You know, what sort of negotiation approach is this? When you've rejected an offer from a club for a player and you're waiting for them to come back in with an offer. You don't just go and publicly tell someone what you'll accept, especially if that's just the same amount they've already offered. (laughs) Yeah, maybe Rotherham were never going to stretch to a particularly big fee for Tidza. He's hardly a guy we were going to get a quarter of a million pounds for at that point. But, yeah, you didn't even try to. I'm seeing now how the negotiation tactics... It resulted in his giving breaching more than a hundred grand, but for Templeman and Russell together, you <laughs> know. What do you think? Moore should have been
0: sacked
1: before he was Alan. <sighs> um, looking back, um, and how Douglas Reid? Well, should he have been? Um. Again, you've got the nearly season. Could you have sacked them at the end of the nearly season? Do, do, no. do you know? Do, do you know touching on that nearly season, right? Um, see again. Look, look, right, Look at the players that we brought in. Look at how much a manager was back then, and then the plug was pulled. And compare it to who was brought in in twenty thirteen fourteen, right? So you've got signings in twenty twelve. Gasson, and David Graham, Mark McLaughlin, Rockovich, Craig Reed. Big Mad Martin, Big Mad Mental Martin, uh Steven Sterling, Scott Taggart and Wally Dyer. See after we've lost to Partick, they again you've got a group of players that have down tools there again, haven't you? Um they were looking elsewhere because the most of them left, didn't they? Um and then you've got the signing of Alan McMeneman as well, um which was <laughs> something in itself. I mean the where the funding came from, there you compare it to who we brought in the season and how he managed to get them, right? So you get here in Habay, who um, the manager and his assistant have gone in a, have gone in a joint to Slovakia, I think, haven't they? And they've yep. come back with these two. Um, he's signed Reese Hands. Uh, he's signed good be player Joe McKee, <laughs> Jonathan <Petage. laughs> Um He's signed. I've just get written down Sham lol next to it uh, <laughs> and obviously you've got Imry that we've signed and Imre was the one that kind of stands out doesn't he in that season he's like the probably the only player that comes out with any slither of any sort of credit at all from sure, that Sure, Finlay season. as well Aye, aye right, yeah. Finlay, as, Finlay as well but I mean it's just see, see that Celtic one in that season by the when you look at all the results around about that it's just amazing it's just my. I, I was looking at the players that we had in the weeks previous to that and the weeks after that. Petrie and Page, by the way, I don't think they played together, and they get thrown in, and rightly so. They never played together, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it's it's just the the general how how that season went, and then Shields coming in. I mean, by the way, it was the the whole thing. Just degenerated into like some sort of Mike Bassett film or something like that, didn't it? It was just, I mean, his speech mind his speech that he did. Um, was it Green Up Mortimer formed in 1874 by a uh, for the people or something like that? Do you know, mind he done that and it was on STV News? You're like, what, what the hell? What's going on here? The
0: kind of point that I'm circling around to here, in a general sense, do you think, even if it was a very well intentioned one, do you think that Douglas Ray's loyalty to managers that he liked was a major failing of his?
2: Absolutely. It's it's a strange thing in a way because you look at just how many managers we went through over over the Ray era and you see you see the sheer number of them and you're like, God, that's a club that go through a lot of managers. Especially when when you consider how long Mack and Ali, Moore and Duffy were in their were in positions small between them. You know, To go through so many managers outside of those three is quite incredible. But that's just testament to how bad we were at picking managers for the whole time. Because pretty much every manager, you could point to some stage in their tenure before they were sacked or resigned that they could have been sacked or should have been sacked. The only manager in the entirety of, of the race time in charge of Morton, who I think you can say was sacked at the earliest possible opportunity, is Dave McPherson. And for the record, I think it was absolutely the right decision to sack Dave McPherson. But he was probably the only one who was sacked you know, as soon as you had you had the sense it wasn't working, rather than yeah. letting it run on for weeks. Because mm. Alan Moore should have been sacked weeks before he was. And I yeah. get that there was there was the sense of it was it was an awkward situation because you've got to remember he did have a personal family tragedy. So yeah, you're a football yep. club, but also you you he's a human being. You you yeah can't be no, completely absolutely. heartless. But when he was finally sacked for that season, our league record was. Two wins, three draws, and nine defeats. He got four more games after we lost five one at Cowdenbeath Beef. That's ridiculous.
1: Do you know the thing I've got there as well is by the way, see after the Celtic game, right? If we're talking about how the club was run, um the money that we earned from that cup run, or or sorry, from that game, uh, what we used it, we basically used it straight away in Novo and Craig Reed, didn't we? Um we also extended Aye. Nico Caro's contract. Um, and, and Joe I've, McKee's contract at the same Joe time McKees, Joe McKee's as well I've got Bashir as well I've got Basher doing as well he's getting extended for some reason but there's absolutely no strategy of note there right Yeah. Um, it's around this time that uh, Hawk well, Hawk was brought in the previous season I think wasn't he in a consultant role uh, for club development in inverted commas and it was just another example of how poorly the club was run that he's come in He's engaged a wee bit with the supporters. He's suggested a couple of things, and all of a sudden you're like, "Wow, this guy is amazing!" And um, I don't know, I don't know what you call that. It's not quite Stockholm, uh, Stockholm syndrome, but it's you know when you're used to really bad things, and then somebody comes in and just does something slightly good, and you're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And that was at the very start. That 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 was one hawk. um, and that that was that that was all in around about this time, wasn't it? There was no strategy at all. And it was clear what we were gonna do. Even when Shields comes in, by the way, first fourteen games. I mean, if you're wanting a new manager bounce, it's like a dead cat bounce, isn't it? You've got <laughs> you've got one his first fourteen games, we've got one win. And I three couldn't, in, beat, couldn't beat nine man Queen of the oh, South. But oh, nine, oh, no. nine men are difficult to beat, though. It's difficult to beat nine <laughs> players. I mean, they can be.
2: Do, do you know what I mean? It's really hard. Yeah, that that summer was, and I do believe it was Warren Hawk's brainchild was the adopting the eight 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 model, where you know we were going to have eight established pros, eight younger cheaper players, and then supplemented by eight players from the youth team. The whole concept being, I right. We need to cut the budget. We we've we'd had the 12-13 season of." spending a lot of money and it didn't work to win the league and you can't you can see the logic in the sense of you know, we had a bigger budget than that part team that was a part team that around the core they'd held on to for years they supplemented it with signings of good young players who were released from top flight clubs and you know a couple of guys they picked up who'd been part-time so yeah you and i think if you if you look at the squads that season and look at what a lot of that Partick squad have gone on to do since um, yeah Partick clearly had a better squad than us in pretty much every area of the park that season yeah you, yeah I'd say so you know you, I mean if you were if you were picking 11s uh, that season made up of Partick and Morton Peter McDonald gets in it Tinted and Bashiru. Tinted and Bashirou, I'm not sure you find a space for Martin Hardy around that Partick midfield to be honest yeah. But um, I know, I know. I don't like saying it either, but it's probably true. But yeah, so I see the logic. But you, know, you think, okay, let's adopt this, this model and lose all our best players as a result of it in an attempt to save money. And then you sign so much shite because of adopting that model that you have to bin a load of them in January, paying them off and recruit half a new squad in January. Mm. And with the consequence that we spent more money on the first team wage bill in 13-14 than we had in 12-13. And got relegated. And here's a little, here's a bit of
0: pub quiz trivia for you both. How many first team players did we use that season? What's your guess, Alan? 39.
2: You probably know this, Craig, already, but go on. I actually don't, off the top of my head. uh, I'm going to go with 36. Bang on. (laughs) Really?
0: (laughs) 36 first-team players we used that season. Do you know? And it it really underpins... We're we're getting into rambling territory, so we're going to try and focus it now. But I think it really underpins just the lack of football and strategy that we... Morton's never really had a a tangible or clear footballing strategy for the last 20 years and it's something that this summer has to change if we are going to if we're going to rejuvenate the club and if we are going to t- taste even moderate success there has to be a clear footballing strategy put in place and executed by people who know what they're doing With industry expertise, we have to move away from this model that we've had for the last 20 years of, oh, I like that player, I'm going to sign him. I like that manager, I'm going to sign him. We need something far more cohesive and we can't have these wholesale changes to the budget and the playing staff at the same time because we've seen what happened in 13-14. And it was an utter embarrassment, and I know it was my twenty-first birthday before you mention it, Dunning. I didn't say a thing. I know, because I <laughs> muted you. <laughs> but the 10-2 game was the culmination of that, and I have never been so embarrassed. Now, we'll talk about the Spartans game, obviously, in the next podcast. The Spartans game, it's a one off result. It was Vile, but these things happen. That's cup football. We lost 10 goals at the end of the season. We'd been humiliated. We'd finished 14 points behind a part-time team. We conceded 10 goals. We were humiliated, put on our arse. And the decision-making and the rationale behind that leads back to the boardroom, in my view. Someone feel free to jump in and correct me
1: no completely agree with you um, do you know l- looking at a couple of the teams see the so we get beaten against was it a Peter Weathers goal against Annen challenge Annen in the season. cup yeah aye. and then we, we um, needed
0: extra time to get past these as well
1: now looking at so we had Pechier and Habay centre backs looking at the subs that came on against Annen so you had Campbell Fulton and Wallace and you're comparing that to what we had the season before I remember the first game of the season we beat Cowdenbeath 2-0 and I remember thinking, ah, we should be all right and we'll, we'll be okay. And that mob looked garbage, so they'll finish below us and they finished 14 points clearies. But then there's only one word for it the, 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 the charlatans that we had after Christmas on their side, the Vine, Robertson, O'Connor, Mackay, and Cole. I mean, on, on paper, you actually look at a team in paper and you think, I may actually be all right. Do you know what I mean? Just look yeah. at the pedigree of the players; they were awful. It was, it was, it was, it was an embarrassment, wasn't it? In the 10-2 game, kind of looking at it, I think that same team Shields had put out that same team. I think it was about three or four weeks in a row. I think so. We'd had a couple of We'd beaten Leeds against Falkirk.
2: Aye. So yeah, the, the but, previous five games, we'd won three and drawn one.
1: And lost Aye. one, so yeah, we were we were in reasonable form. But it didn't matter. It, it didn't matter because we were down. So I mean, we yep. were picking up game, picking up points. When you've got guys looking for contracts elsewhere, which is endemic within the club that season and the season before and all the rest of it, you've got guys looking on for the for, for their next contract, and there's absolutely there's there's no desire to play for Morton, and it's that 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 goes back to the to the the ethos. The values win the club.
2: Yeah, th- that that ten two game, because we'd had that, we we spike in form. Um yes, and those three wins were all very good wins as well. We we dismantled both Dumbarton and Livingston and then we beat Dundee in hilarious circumstances. Um and I think the players kinda looked at that as if we've salvaged a wee bit of pride here and that day at Hamilton, they were all their heads were all on the beach already. They were like, We've we've made this a marginally less embarrassing season for ourselves. Let's just get this day over with and go. And meanwhile, Hamilton knew they needed to win by eight goals and so they went and did it because they could. And I normally wouldn't address this because it's not something generally that anyone other than Dundee fans actually believes. But because there's always been the suggestion of, oh, that's obviously a fix. And there was... Is that not maybe... just from one rather greasy looking...
0: I should probably stop there. But yes, a, a former midfielder. <laughs>
2: well, there was... Um, there was actually a podcast uh, within the last couple of years. Can't remember. generally can't remember what the podcast was called. But uh, Kenny Shields was on it. Yeah, so what, whatever podcast it was, Kenny Shields was on. You know, I, I cannot remember his exact phrase, but it was like the situation I, I went into, I went into it. Morton was toxic, and there's that I, word again. I, yes, not quite, but he, he did say I, I need to be very careful uh, what I say about that about that ten-two game. Basically, he was he was clearly dropping a hint that he believes there was something fishy going on without his knowledge. And sorry, that's complete bollocks and an abdication of responsibility on his part. Because, look, that team had lost 5-1 to Cowdenbeath. And was it 5-1 or 5-0 to Livingston? Uh, 5-1, was it? Moores, last game in charge. 5-1, um, I think, yeah. 5-1. But yeah, in any case, we've all seen over the years, both if it's your team dishing out the pumping or your team receiving it, teams, when they go 4 or 5 nil up in a game, go into first gear. They stop trying properly they just pass it about a wee bit, they showboat. Hamilton, on that day, could not afford to do that because they knew how many they needed to win by. So when they got four or five up, they didn't go into first gear. They just kept going. That was why they put 10 goals past us because that team was that bad. Yeah, Beach could have done that to us. Livingston could have done that to us. But they stopped once the three points were in the bag. yeah. And see to kind of reflect on that season as a whole and I know I've
0: mentioned the budget cuts before, now it must be, this was Douglas Ray's money and he is entitled to cut the cloth accordingly but what annoys me is so what 2013-14 that was see for the 10 or so years up to then the club had showed absolutely no desire to be commercially savvy to maximise income to make the club anything near sustainable and that to me is neglect and that manifested itself because he looks at the wage bill after 2012-13 and goes oh Jesus right Oh, we need to get rid of that, now that's fine see if at the other end of that you're doing everything you can to run as a professional and capable football club, that's absolutely fine but What we've seen is you neglect one facet of the business you then say oh no we need to cut back on the footballing side and we end up not only making an absolute arse of it and spending more money to achieve less but we then do financial damage for the next what two years by the time we get back up to that level. It again underpins an absolute lack of an absolute lack of footballing strategy and just the, the sheer level of neglect that this club has suffered over the last 20 years. And it really, to this day, it still really annoys me that we went down that summer and how that summer played out because it was abysmal. Yeah, I
2: think that sums it up nicely. There's not really much yeah. to add there. But yeah, I would just say as we're now at the summer of 2014, that you know, looking at the legacy of the Rays, you know, we started this podcast we're looking at the summer of 2007 think how much worse it was how much worse the relationship was in 2014 compared to 2007 and yeah. <laughs> in 2007 we had
0: a fan base of probably kind of a floating fan base a kind of maximized fan base of what three and a half four thousand and there were there was discontentment and among that support we've always been a kind of fractured fan base anyway you then fast forward to even under Moors, even under the nearly season 12-13, we were pushing for the first division title at home with sub-2,000 crowds. And yeah. the club have to take responsibility for that because we made an absolute arse of maximising any sort of positive momentum, maintaining any sort of relationship with the fan base. What did we do besides bring a friend to actually entice people to capital? And that's what I said about commercial savvy. Everything that we did off the park was somewhere between well-intentioned amateur and absolute deliberate neglect.
1: The only thing good that was associated with the club around this time—that that, this is the time when the community trust started, hasn't it? Um, and it, although it's not the same as the club by all accounts, um, but anything positive that was coming out of Morton as a name at that point, was as a result of the community trust, which wasn't Morton Football Club. Um, it, it's, it's, drawing the parallels between 2007 and 2014, it's quite clear, isn't it? Um, we are an absolute basket case by that point. Um, and might be an unpopular thing to say, but the only guy who could have come in managers after that was Jim Duffy. Um, yeah,
0: I remember doing a bit of coaching and a bit of scouting in kind of thirteen, fourteen and you're kinda speaking to guys that, that work in football and, and guys that are, are quite well connected in, in the industry and you would kinda get chatting to them and it would be all I support Morton and You would kinda you would talk about them in some of the stories and some of the just the the general professional reputation and the general attitude towards Morton was abysmal, really abysmal. And again, it's it's something that we've not we've not been able to shake yet. And I think now is the time where we have to get these plans in place because that is not going to be an overnight thing. It is going to take MCT years to rebuild our professional reputation. Thirty six players relegated with 14 points between us and ninth place 36 first team players spending more money after trying to cut the budget fans are pissed off
2: it's... yeah yeah just, just, just l- listing it all like that does really put into perspective nicely, more players than points I- that's bros <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: brilliant. more players than goals Aye. Weiss. Well, most just, just to, well, no, obviously not. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just to round us off, this has been a kind of scattered gun topic. Um, played, played 36, won 6, drawn 8, lost 22, goals for 32, goals against 71, a goal difference of minus 39, and finishing on 26 points. Behind ninth place Beath on 40. Alright guys, so... That was a tough record, I'm not going to lie. That was... That was tough. Um, But it's been a very, very long record. I suspect a very, very long listen. So for all three of our listeners who have made it this far, we've done I think we'll... We'll round it off there. So, Craig, thank
2: you very much for joining us. Thank you. Fuck James Grady. <laughs> <laughs> I had to. I'm not
0: letting it go. Do you want to buy a sponsorship package and just have an ad every week saying that?
2: <laughs> Give me a discount and I'll consider it. No. <laughs> Alan...
0: Pleasure as ever. I, Frank, I, I, think, thanks, I, I
1: think, think you might, you might I, need to stay. Listen, can I say one thing? First of all, uh, I'd like to apologise... Not, it's, not it's
0: not It's not. what Craig said, is
1: <laughs> it? No, I'd like to apologise uh, in advance to my mother. Uh, she had threatened to, walk, to listen to the last one. I uh, was just thinking, a good God-fearing woman that she is, if she's listening to this. Uh, <laughs>
2: mommy, I'm sorry. <laughs> In your defence, it can all be blamed on me uh, and James Grady. Yes. Yes. Right, Craig. <laughs> We've got an hour, we're at an
0: hour and 43 minutes. Yes. Say it one more time and then we'll draw a line under this.
2: Fuck James Grady and Alan McManus. Although I do agree that the way the club sacked them was still somehow shitty. <laughs> Very
1: balanced. I like that. I'm <laughs> <Very> sure. <laughs> <laughs> Alright guys, um,
0: yes well done if you made it this far, we'll be back with part 3 in the next week or so and thank you all for listening Well, that's the show folks remember to check out themortonforum.com for the latest Morton news, discussion and articles featuring the excellent match photography of GBR photographs make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and we'd love to hear your feedback or questions on any of our social platforms at themortonforum. <laughs>